Campfire Classics is a classic literature podcast. However, your hosts will occasionally use not-so-classy language and immature humor to describe very mature situations. As such, listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. It's spooky season and it has started officially, I think it because it is cold outside. It's not cold outside, but it doesn't get hotter than 80, so it's yay, 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 spooky season. <laughs> Trouble following the um the the, the rhythm the, the sort of the internal there was meter rhythm of in that there? one. <laughs> well, everything has a kind of rhythm, that whether it's a consistent rhythm. Heather's hippity hoppity rhythm. <laughs> hippity hoppity does seem to make a lot of appearances in this podcast, in this podcast. when I open my mouth. Yes, hippity hoppity. Yeah, because I, I, I can't say anything I do is hip hop because that's an insult to the world of hip hop. So what Heather does is hippity hoppity. Is hippity hoppity? Yeah. All right. Cool. That was a good hippity hoppity rhythm. Thank you. Thank hey, you so much. welcome back. Hey, yeah, it's been a while. I feel like we haven't recorded a regular episode of this in it's like, been like a month. A month, yeah. It's been almost I think it's been a month. So it's probably like a month ago, yeah. Uh howdy there, campers. How you doing? And it is officially uh we're heading into fall. So that's mm-hmm. that's fun. I love fall. I do not like winter, but I love fall. <laughs> it's the best. Sure. Just like it's, the leaves um, changing and pumpkin spice and and witchcraft and <laughs> Yes, because witchcraft is inherently the domain of autumn. <laughs> it feels like it. I mean with Halloween it's and everything. Just it's just kinda, there. it's because of Halloween, but like it also just feels like the time when you want to like go frolic in a forest. You know? Yeah. Like it's, yeah, because during the summer it's too hot to frolic. Yeah, and in the spring it's wet. In the in the fall it's like, ah, it's frolicking season. Yes. <laughs> Welcome to frolicking season. Oh, I, I like that. Yes. So we're back. Uh, I did a play. Ken started rehearsal for a new play. We closed out the season at historic Philadelphia. Yeah, but I'm a, still motherfucking Betsy. And, it's been a busy yeah. month. Yeah, it's a lot been busy. going on. Yeah. yeah. So that's why we haven't been recording. So thanks for bearing with us while we, we took an unplanned hiatus. And a visit from your mama. Like, yeah, there was just yeah. lots happening. So so we're back. Campfire Classics regular Ken's mom came and visited. Yes, yes. Regular uh, f- uh, corrector of wrongdoings. <laughs> yep. Regular contributor and occasional co-host. Yes. So, uh, so she was here for a while and, yeah, she got to see my show, which... She'd been wanting yeah. to see a show of mine for like a couple of years at this point. It's been a while. It's been a long time since you were able to do one on dry land. Well, I did a few on dry land she, that she couldn't see. I saw one. I did my shows in Creed and I did the shows in right. Florida and she yeah. didn't see those. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's been even longer than oh, I it's was been thinking. Since grad school. Yep. Yeah. So that, that finally fun. happened. Yeah. But other than that, it's been. Uh, Good times getting to know some theater people here in Philly. Yeah, I've spending some time sanded a few times, hanging out at the local theater bar. The local local theater bar is named Quigs, and you bring that up to any theater person, they go, "Uh oh." Yeah. <laughs> and now I know why. It's easy to fall into that pit. We, uh, my, <laughs> my friend from the show, 
uh, one of my friends from the show bartends there and manages it, and then the other friend uh, gave it the name that I will never not call it now, which is, ooh, you got quigsanded, which means you got sucked down the hole of, of the quigs. So, yeah, there's been a few nights that I've shown up there and said, I'm going to have a couple drinks, and then I'm there when it closes at 2. <laughs> it's like, when did that happen? <laughs> Yeah. Oh my gosh, but I'm like now I know people there, so it's even it's even now it's becoming like cheers. <laughs> I'm like, which character am I? <laughs> Wasn't Fraser a later edition? Fraser was a later edition, my Fraser. <laughs> I don't think I'm nearly as well spoken or Republican enough to be Fraser, but maybe maybe I'm BB Newworth. Maybe I'm his part. Maybe you're you um uh, uh, Lilith. Yeah. Lilith. <laughs> well, that is a witch's name, so All right. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take Lilith. <laughs> Witchy theater woman that uh, has a dry sense of humor and uh, uh, yeah, you, a sarcasm. You'll have to start perfecting your incredibly dry delivery. Okay, I'll work on that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so uh, that's that's been my exploration uh, in the city. I've also uh, learned about South Philadelphia, which has been fun. I like I like it down there. Yeah, it's everything south of North Philadelphia. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so just been exploring, getting to know the world. Making really, really topical Cheers references. Yes. Well, Fraser is coming back. They keep threatening. I think it's actually happening. I don't know how it's going to happen. Especially in the writer's strike. I don't know how it's going to happen. I mean, right now it's not. how are you announcing? We don't need any more, uh, I was going to say slags. That's not the word. Uh, uh, I don't know what you're trying to. Scoopers, poopers, uh, the people that... Go against the union. Scabs. Scabs, thank you. <laughs> Why could I not think of that where we were literally just saying it upstairs? The scoopers and poopers. <laughs> scabs. The scabs. It's not slags. Slags is like a word for a, Whole different a thing. slutty woman in Britain. Yep. <laughs> so Although I agree, we don't need any more slutty English women. Um, I disagree. I think we need many more slutty English women. <laughs> Do, I mean, I'm not saying anything against slutty English women. I'm just saying <laughs> there are plenty. probably enough of them. <laughs> we don't need more. That's true. That's true. All right. We don't no judgment. To, we don't need to compete with uh, the already uh, fantastic slag population. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, especially here, we have enough slutty American women. We don't need to add slutty English women to but it. But they don't have a cool name. Slutty, English women, uh, slutty American women don't have a cool name like slags. That's fair. <laughs> So maybe we need to come up with a word for them. <laughs> yeah, I think all we got is skanks. Skanks sounds like Hose. they stink. Hose sounds That'd be stank. Like stank. Stanky skanks. Stanky skanks. Got so that skank stank. They work at the fish factory and then they go out at night. <laughs> it's the fish market fish market. Ooh. All-you-can-eat buffet. Oh. <laughs> I am no longer proud of this. <laughs> you went with it. We're going down. Yep. We're going down the quicksand. <laughs> nope. We are not going down the stanky skanks. <laughs> anyway, I think we should get to the episode. What do you think? Yeah, that, that, that was a good I got seven no minutes. Segue for, I got no segue into out of that. So. Hey, listeners. Thanks for bearing with us through our mandatory nonsense. And now on to the show. What do we do, Ken? This is Campfire Classics, where, as previously stated, we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. For those of you who are new to the podcast, which is 
one of you at least, I hope. Um, basically what that means is we take turns cold reading short stories and we force you to listen to it with all of our mistakes and terrible accents and laughing juvenilely at things that occur to us as penis jokes. I saw a statue today walking around the, uh, speaking of uh, the art museum, I was walking around today and I walked by it. I think it was like a statue of George Washington or something. And the first thing I saw on it was erected by. (laughs) 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 And I almost took a picture and I'm like, Heather, grow up. (laughs) Who erected George Washington? by and went, oh. Hopefully Martha. I'm sure Martha did a few times, so. <laughs> and that is the type of highbrow penis joke you can expect from the next, what? Hour. Hour or so of your life. Yeah. So welcome. Uh, and this week, I got to pick the story. Yeah. Um, Which means before we jump into it, Heather's going to share a few fun facts to set the mood. So, this week we have a new author um, who I can't believe we haven't covered. Honestly, I can't believe you haven't assigned me a story by this person because we are now, we are living in the domain of the pulp fiction with this this writer. So, this story is by an author called Isaac Asimov. Oh, yeah. We've not covered Asimov yet. You know him. I was like, there's no way you can't. Like, as I was doing the research, I'm like, I know who this is. Like, I think. I mean, very on the outskirts. Because, yeah. like, sci-fi was never my, like, sit down. But anyway, I'm yeah. going to get into Asim- the- Asimov's a big deal. Yeah. yeah. So we have not covered him. So yay. Welcome. Um, And I'm going to dive in because he has a fascinating fucking life. And I'm not even going to cover, like, 2% of what I could have. So he was an American writer, though he was originally born in uh, Russia. And uh, became explains the name. Yes, uh, and basically his main his main job he was a professor of biochemistry at Boston University who just happened to write. During his lifetime, he was considered one of the big three science fiction writers, and he was a prolific writer. And like literally, if you look at his Wikipedia page, this is like it goes on and on. It is unfucking real like in every topic you can imagine which you'll understand more as I go on here so he wrote or edited more than 500 books he also wrote an estimated 90,000 letters and postcards some of which of course have been you know preserved yeah Uh, he's best known for his uh, science fiction but he also wrote mysteries fantasy as well as a lot of nonfiction and like uh, commentary or like follow along books to like like one of the one of the things he wrote that I, I wrote down is he wrote Asimov's Guide to Shakespeare, volumes one and two. So like yeah. lots of stuff like that. So he was born in Petrikovichi, Russia, uh, on an unknown date. Someone check that pronunciation. Yeah, that was not right. Um, of it on an unknown date between October 4th, 1919 and January 2nd, 1920. All right, so he might have been born on my birthday. Yes. <laughs> there's like a three-month span there. Yep. So there's um, a one in 90 chance. Yes. Um, but he celebrated, he chose, his birthday was January 2nd. So that's what he actually officially went with. Uh, his parents were Anna and Judah, and they were a family of Russian Jewish millers. So, as you can imagine, they wanted to get the fuck out of Russia. Sure. So they did. Uh, so... Um, 
This was the early 20th century? Uh, yes, yeah. the ni- 1920. Yeah, yeah. yeah we've, 1920s, we've, they got out of Russia. They moved to America just in time for... Yeah. Oh. Yeah, they got out of there in the, at the well, right yeah, time. Well, yeah, I'm just saying, say. they, they then come to America and Great Depression hits. Well, yes, but at least <laughs> they weren't in caught in the middle of World War II, yeah. which was much worse for Jewish people, yeah. arguably. Like, yeah. At least the Great Depression was shitty for everyone, right, I guess. Right, yeah. Um, for, for the most part. Um, so we were all in this together over in America. Uh, but they didn't come over here. So, okay. Blech. So his the, his father, was, they were Orthodox Jewish, but he basically said in a quote that his dad didn't really follow it. Like, he was like, he's like me as a recovering Catholic. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's what I did, but not really. So in 1921, so he's one years old, him and 16 other children in the family, whether it be his brothers, sisters, cousins, whatever, developed double pneumonia, which was going around. He was the only child that survived. Later, he had two other siblings. His sister was, Marsha was born a year after that all went down. And then Stanley was born in 1929, long long after they'd come to to America. So they actually traveled to the United States on February 3rd, 1923. So he was three years old, had a two-year-old sister, and that was it. So their parents spoke Yiddish and English. Uh, he never learned Russian, but his parents used it as the secret language when they wanted to discuss something privately. So he he could he remembers awesome. hearing it in the house, and he always knew it was something that he wasn't supposed to hear. It's like it's yeah. like when parents are like, "We're going to talk about S E X now," <laughs> like except yeah. they said it in Russian. So he grew up in Brooklyn, Brooklyn, New York, which is awesome. Asimov taught himself to read at the age of five, and then he taught his sister to read as well. He got put into first grade a year early because his mother claimed he was born September 7th, 1919. It's kind of like what happened with me. Like, I mean, we were honest about it, but like my mom's like, no, she can read. We're pushing her forward. I didn't need to be held back. I want my, I was ready to be in like first grade. They just claimed he was born a couple months earlier than he actually was. Yeah. So in third grade, they learned about this error, (laughs) but... They they fixed his records, but they didn't push him back because clearly he was quite bright. Right. Um, he became a naturalized U.S. citizen in 1928 at the age of eight. So he got run through school very bright. He originally went to college for uh, he went to college first of all he graduated high school at 16. Sure. Um, he was a zoology major, but then he switched to chemistry after his first semester because he disapproved of dissecting an alley cat, which I was like. That's why I didn't want to take AP chemistry yeah. or AP biology. Sorry, chemistry. AP biology. Yeah, not a lot of cat dissection no, no. in chemistry. It's like the reason I did not want to take that in high school because yeah. we had to dissect a cat. And I was like, I have no interest in that. That makes me sad. Um, so I found that like fun fact interesting. So he switched to chemistry. He graduated from that, then he completed a master's of arts degree in chemistry and a doctorate of philosophy in chemistry. Huh. Which is an interesting degree. <laughs> Philosophy in chemistry. Yeah. So, yeah. Also, during his chemistry studies, he learned French and German. So, sure. <laughs> so but he, not Russian. So he still doesn't know what his parents are talking Russian, about. So, fuck that. Um, during that, he actually, during those times he was in school, he uh, was drafted, of course, into World War II uh, as, a, as a chemist and actually lived here in Philadelphia for a few years. Oh. So he was a chemist at the Philadelphia Naval Yard 
Okay. Um, and the Naval Air Experimental Station, and he lived in the Walnut Hill section of West Philadelphia from 1942 to 1945. Huh. I just I had I to put that know. in there because that's fun. Yeah. So he uh, he was drafted into the post-war U.S. Uh, Army. Unfortunately, if he had never corrected his birth date, he would have been too old, but he got drafted in. No, he didn't have to stay long, and he was like a captain, and it was after the war. It was right. basically just for like, you know, making sure everything's running smoothly. So he did his life, went on, studied biochemistry, started teaching at Boston University. Um, and then somewhere along the way, he just was like, I'm going to write a lot of effing books. And he's just started writing a lot of books. I'm not even going to really talk about that. Here are just some fun facts about him. He was a claustrophile, which means he enjoyed small enclosed spaces. Okay. In the third volume of his autobiography, he recalls as a child that he had a desire to own a magazine stand in the New York City subway stations because then he could enclose himself in and listen to the rumble of passing trains while reading. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So he actually, and they actually like brought that up in a few of his stories, like the idea of claustrophobia versus like wanting to be claustrophobia versus claustrophilia. Claustrophile, yes. Um, Asimov also had a extreme fear of flying. He only did so twice in his entire life. So once in the course of his work as a naval air experimental station, mm -hmm. like during like his time here in Philly, and once returning home from Oahu because he had to go over to Hawaii for during his time. So once he boated over and then came because he flew went over back, the Navy, yeah. um, but flew back. So he, for that reason, he very seldom traveled at great distances because the phobia like was real and he's like, I don't want to do it. Um, and he used that a lot in his stories as well. Uh, he coined the term robotics. Okay. So the term robotics was first first appeared in his 1941 story, Liar. Um, he also, uh, another fun fact is, a great variety of information covered in Asimov's writing prompted Kurt Vonnegut, who's a, one of my favorite writers, or was for a long time, haven't read him in a long time, actually, I should pull it back up. Uh, Kurt Vonnegut asked, how does it feel to know everything? <laughs> Asimov replied that he only knew how it felt to have the reputation of omnis, omnif, um, omniscience, om, omniscience, omniscience, the reputation of omniscience, which is uneasy. <laughs> and like it is, it's like the whole like ignorance is bliss. Mm -hmm. But if you're really smart, you're probably always a little uncomfortable. And that's how he um, explained that. So. Again, I could go on and fucking on and on, but instead I'm going to tell you a couple of his most famous works, and then we'll get to the story. So I talked about Asimov's Guide to Shakespeare. He also did Asimov's Guide to the Bible, Volumes 1 and 2, which I would love to read. Cool. Uh, my Four of my favorite that I just had to put in. He wrote a collection of limericks called Lecherous Limericks. <laughs> More Lecherous Limericks the following year. The following year, still more lecherous limericks. And then two years after that, limericks, too gross. <laughs> All right. Uh, he also wrote, this was the one that made me go, oh, shit, I know who that is. Uh, I, Robot. Yeah. That's his story. So, like, the Will Smith, I mean, it's actually been used, like, in a couple productions, but the big one we know, I think it was in 2004 or something around there, was the Will Smith iRobot, which was such a big movie at the time. Um, one of his very famous stories. Uh, 
And then this is, I'm going to close with this. David Frost, like Frost Nixon, David mm-hmm. Frost, he was interviewed by him. And David Frost interviewed him on August 1969. <laughs> Frost asked Asimov if he had ever tried to find God. And after some initial evasion, Asimov answered, God is much more intelligent than I am. Let him try and find me. Huh. <laughs> I like that. And that is where I will end I the like fun that. facts. So today, you are going to be reading a story called The Last Question. Cool. Yeah. Let's start this fire. The Last Question by Isaac Asimov. The last question was asked for the first time, half in jest, on May 21st, 2061, at a time when humanity first stepped into the light. Okay, so that's in 30 years? 38 years? Yeah, 38 less. Math is hard. It's all right. Asimov didn't study math either. That's true. He was just, just good at everything else. Just chemistry, which just is chemistry, math. which is math. Yeah. So fuck my life. Anyway, moving on. The question came about as the result of a five-dollar bet over highballs, and it happened this way. Balls. <clears throat> Alexander Adele and Bertram Lupov were two of the faithful attendants of Multivac. As well as any human beings could, they knew what lay behind the cold, clicking, flashing face, miles and miles of face of that giant computer. Ew. Well, first of all, Multivac sounds like it's like Hoover's uh, uh, <laughs> like competitor. It's like, Hoover sucks. Multivac rules. But apparently he also sounds kind of like uh, Big Brother because there's a face on a computer. Yeah, I'm actually thinking of um, Deep Thought from uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The giant computer. That... It's like he created a, a genre. Yeah. This guy we're talking about. Okay. They had at least a vague notion of the general plan of relays and circuits that had long since grown past the point where any single human could possibly have a firm grasp of the whole. Multivac was self-adjusting and self-correcting. It had to be, for nothing human could adjust and correct it quickly enough or even adequately enough. So... Adele and Lupov attended the monstrous giant only lightly and superficially, yet as well as any men could. I do like that men attended this monstrous giant. This giant (laughs) vacuum? (laughs) They fed it data, adjusted questions to its needs, and translated the answers that were issued. It's like Siri! Certainly, they and all others like them were fully entitled to share in the glory that was Multivax. For decades, Multivac had helped design the ships and plot the trajectories that enabled man to reach the moon, Mars, Venus, but past that, Earth's poor resources could not support the ships. 
Too much energy was needed for the long trips. I love reading stories from, like, the 50s that assume that we've been to Mars and Venus and, and shit in, like, 30 years. It's embarrassing that we haven't. It really is. Well, it's because, like, NASA was, like, well, not NASA, but, like, in general, they were like, we've been to the moon, we're done. Yeah. Fucking it's idiots. idiotic. It's idiotic. <laughs> yeah. But it is kind of funny to read that and be like, oh, wow. Yeah, you overshot that. Yeah. <laughs> you my, predicted Siri, but you did not do well with the uh, the exploration of space. My sort of pie-in-the-sky plan for uh, world peace includes um, going to Mars. Oh, yeah. Earth exploited its coal and uranium with increasing efficiency, but there was only so much of both. Ding, ding, ding. But slowly, Multivac learned enough to answer deeper questions more fundamentally, and on May 14th, 2061, what had been theory became fact. The energy of the sun was stored, converted, and utilized directly on a planet-wide scale. Solar power! All Earth turned off its burning coal, its fissioning uranium, and flipped the switch that connected all of it to a small station one mile in diameter, circling the Earth at half the distance of the moon. All Earth ran by invisible beams of sun power. Well, shit. That would be nice. Yep. <laughs> That's what we're working on if it wasn't all about capitalism. Yep. That's... Fucking... This, I mean, this is... I, I love reading these stories because it's like, wow, you predicted the future of the, what it the, should have been. Well, the altruism in it is what makes it science fiction instead of just science. Yes. <laughs> Seven days had not sufficed to dim the glory of it, and Adele and Lupo finally managed to escape from the public function and to meet in quiet where no one would think of looking for them in the deserted underground chambers where portions of the mighty buried body of Multivac showed, unattended, idling, sorting data with contented, lazy clickings, Multivac, too, had earned its vacation, and the boss appreciated that. They had no intention, originally, of disturbing it. They had brought a bottle with them, and their only concern at the moment was to relax in the company of each other and the bottle. Yeah, bro time. It's amazing when you think of it, said Adele. His broad face had lines of weariness in it, and he stirred his drink slowly with a glass rod, watching the cubes of ice slur clumsily about. All the energy we could possibly ever use for free. Enough energy if we wanted to draw on it to melt all Earth into a big drop of impure liquid iron and still never miss the energy so used. Whoa, whoa, why'd you go to the dark place, dude? <laughs> Let's not. <laughs> well, because if you're measuring how much energy something takes, like... You, you, there, there are one of two ways you can go. We have enough energy to safely run the world, mm -hmm. or we have enough energy to destroy, destroy the, the solar system. Both at the same time. Both at the same time, <laughs> but but it's much more, um, what? Uh, dramatic. Dramatic. <laughs> the power to destroy a planet. Now, uh, now I'm scared that Adele is in charge of anything. <laughs> <laughs> Adele. <laughs> There's a fire. 
charging all of Earth. I am gonna to use it to blow up the world. Like, hmm. too, too much of a reach there. <laughs> Maybe that's what Adele's actually writing about. Uh, yeah. All of the energy we could ever use forever and forever and forever. Lupov cocked his head sideways. He had a trick of doing that when he wanted to be contrary, and he wanted to be contrary now. Partly because he had had to carry the ice and the glassware. <laughs> Not forever, he said. Ah, uh, well, just about forever. Till the sun runs down, Bert. That's not forever. <laughs> Lupoff is like, shut up, you're an idiot. <laughs> All right then, billions and billions of years, 20 billion maybe, are you satisfied? Lupov put his fingers through his thinning hair as though to reassure himself that some was still left and sipped gently at his own drink. 20 billion years isn't forever. I like the, the, the copy we have of this says 20 billion years isn't forever. Yeah, clearly it's scanned poorly. <laughs> well, it will last our time, won't it? So would coal and uranium. Yeah, Adele's like the fucking Republicans, and Lupoff is like, dude, no, like, it's not about us. Uh, also, that's a um, major incorrect because at this point, coal well, and uranium would not. Yes. But in the 50s, they thought it would. They thought yeah. it would, which is why that's all they they, yep. they were like. They told uh, Tesla to go fuck himself. They were like, we don't need your bullshit. We want to make money. <laughs> Fucking capitalist bullshit. Oh, as in Nikola Tesla. Yes. That, well, that not, had already not, happened not decades Tesla, ago. Not Tesla, like the, the, the car, even though yeah. it is named after Nikola yeah. Tesla. Um, they have very little in common. Yes. Tesla can go fuck itself, <laughs> well, too. Well, Tesla is an electric car, which is kind of what Tesla was yeah. looking to do, but yes. <laughs> so with coal and uranium. All right, but... Now we can hook up each individual spaceship to the solar station and it can go to Pluto and back a million times without ever worrying about fuel. You can't do that with coal and uranium. Ask Multivac if you don't believe me. I don't have to ask Multivac. I know that. It's like people are like, ask Siri. I'm like, no. I know it, and I don't want to say that too loud or my watch is going to start talking at me, which is terrible. And stop running down what Multivac's done for us, said Adele, blazing up. It did all right. Is it getting high? That's what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah! It's probably why he's going to ask a stupid question. Now we're going to, like, now we're having two brilliant scientists getting stoned talking about the uh, possibilities of the end of the universe. Who says it didn't? What I say is that a sun won't last forever. That's all I'm saying. We're safe for 20 billion years, but then what? Lupov pointed a slightly shaky finger at the other. And don't say we'll switch to another sun. There was silence for a while. Adele put his glass to his lips only occasionally, and Lupov's eyes slowly closed. They rested. Then... Lupov's eyes snapped open. You're thinking we'll switch to another sun when ours is done, aren't you? I'm not thinking. Sure you are. 
You're weak on logic. That's the trouble with you. You're like the guy in the story who was caught in a sudden shower and who ran to a grove of trees and got under one. He wasn't worried, you see, because he figured when one tree got wet through, he would just get under another one. That's what I did today. <laughs> and then I got drenched. So. Yeah, so, so the logic good was logic. flawed. Good logic. I mean, I just it started raining a lot harder, too. <laughs> Uh, I think we could call the day when the sun explodes a pretty rainy day. Rainy as in, like... Metaphorically rainy. Metaphorically, like, explosion, like, darkness and, uh, like... Yeah, metaphorically rainy day. That'd be a real shitty day. Yeah. That'd <laughs> be... Sad day. Oh, when I was walking in the sun, the, the, the rain had just started today. There was a little boy with his mom behind me, and he was like... Mommy, I don't like the rain. And mom's like, well, the rain is good for the planet, honey. You gotta... And he's like, but rain makes me sad. It's like crying. <laughs> I was like, oh. And the mom was like, you're right. Rain is like tears, but it, it's good tears. Sometimes tears are good, too. It was just like the cutest little lesson happening right behind me. Aww. I was like, oh. The, the kid is understanding melancholy. <laughs> like, it's so cute. Also, mom, good job. <laughs> It's like good for the planet. Also, tear cries, crying is okay too sometimes. Yeah, but it's not salt water like your tears would be. <laughs> Yet. Yet. Just Stop whining. Just, I'll give you something to cry about. Oh my god. <laughs> just acid rain. Is this just what we got? A whole different thing. Yep. That's not salt water. <laughs> I get it, said Adele. Don't shout. When the sun is done, the other stars will be gone, too. Darn right they will, muttered Lupove. It all had a beginning in the original cosmic explosion. Yeah, there's some weird uh, scans on this one. Whatever that was. Whenever that was. Yeah. It all had a beginning in the original cosmic explosion, whenever that was, and it'll all have an end when all the stars run down. Some run down faster than others. Hell, the giants won't last a hundred million years. The sun will last twenty billion years, and maybe the dwarves will last a hundred billion, for all the good they are. But. Just give us a trillion years and everything will be dark. When did dwarves start? <laughs> Where'd that come from? Like, just dwarves in general? Yeah, dwarf stars. Oh. I was like, why is Peter Dinklage going to outlive us all? <laughs> Fuck. Um, I know what a dwarf star is. It's like a uh, red dwarf, but like... Yeah, because, well... <laughs> Because They're closer to the Earth. Smaller, the, the smaller you are, the less hard your heart has to work, and so the longer you last. <laughs> it's true. My friend Tabitha, she's got, you got it made, girl. <laughs> <laughs> but just give us a trillion years and everything will be dark. Entropy has to increase to maximum. That's all. I know all about entropy, said Adele, standing on his dignity. The hell you do. I know as much as you do. Then you know everything's got to run down someday. All right, who says they won't? 
You did, you poor sap. Stoner. You said we had all the energy we needed forever. You said forever. Forever. It was Adele's turn to be contrary. Maybe we can build things up again someday, he said. Never. Why not? Someday. Ask Multivac. Never. You ask Multivac. I dare you. Five dollars says it can't be done. And there's the question. Adele was just drunk enough to try, just sober enough to be able to phrase the necessary syllables and operations into a question which, in words, might have corresponded with this. Will mankind one day, without the net expenditure of energy, be able to restore the sun to its full youthfulness even after it had died of old age? Whew! Or maybe it could have been put more simply like this. How can the net amount of entropy of the universe be massively decreased? Ain't that the question we're asking a lot right now? Yep. Okay. Multivac fell dead and silent. The slow flashing of lights ceased. The distant sounds of clicking relays ended. Then... Just as the frightened technicians felt they could hold their breath no longer, there was a sudden springing to life of the teletype attached to that portion of Multivac. Five words were printed. Insufficient data for meaningful answer. No bet, whispered Lupov. They left hurriedly. Something the computer doesn't know. Yep. That's scary. <laughs> That's just essentially when the, the little AI generator is like, I don't have I, the stuff to answer your dumbass question. Yeah, it's like technology scary. By next morning, the two, plagued with throbbing head and cottony <laughs> mouth, definitely smoking weed, had forgotten the incident. <laughs> Jared, Jaredine, and Jaredette 1 and 2 watched a starry picture in the visiplate change as the passage through hyperspace was completed in its non-time lapse. Who are Jared, Jaredine, and Jaredette? <laughs> um, 1 and 2. <laughs> the children of Jared, I assume, who was just super egocentric. Super fucking... Full of himself. Yep. <laughs> At once, the even powdering of stars gave way to the predominance of a single bright marble disc, centered. That's X-23, said Jared confidently, his thin hands clamped tightly behind his back and the knuckles whitened. The little Jaredettes, both girls, had experienced the hyperspace passage for the first time in their lives, and were self-conscious over the momentary sensation of inside-outness. They buried their giggles and chased one another wildly about their mother, screaming, We've reached X-23! We've reached X-23! We've reached... <laughs> Quiet children, So said there's a Jared. family. This, yeah. They're all... Ew! They're definitely related. <laughs> Quiet children, said Jaredine sharply. Are you sure, Jared? 
What is there to be but sure? asked Jared, glancing up at the bulge of featureless metal just under the ceiling. It ran the length of the room, disappearing through the wall at either end. It was as long as the ship. Jared scarcely knew a thing about the thick rod of metal. Stop, I can't. There's, I, the, it, it, we got, we got a fucking bulge in the wall and a thick rod. I, <laughs> I was gonna ignore one, but there's two in one sentence, or two in, like, two sentences. It's dirty. <laughs> Anyway, it moving on. A bulge the length of the ship. The bul that's a huge bulge. And apparently it's also a thick rod. <laughs> Jared scarcely knew a thing about the thick rod of metal except that it was called a microvac. Wow, if that's a micro bulging out of the walls. I don't know what I'd do with a full size one. Damn. Jared scarcely knew a thing about the thick rod of metal, except that it was called a microvac, that one asked it questions, if one wished, that if one did not, it still had its task of guiding the ship to a pre-ordered destination, of feeding on energies from the various subgalactic power stations, of computing the equations for hyperspatial jumps, Jared and his family had only to wait and live in the comfortable residence quarters of the ship. Okay, so we've jumped time, or location at least. Location, with, certainly. Yeah, because like they, the the two guys we met earlier were with the multivac, so right. it's like the the OG. Yeah, and the, then the microvac the is home like computer, and then the microvac is on everything as like a honing device mm -hmm. or like a. Um, Siri or GPS or, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. a smaller offshoot, yeah. Yep. Someone had once told Jared that the AC at the end of Microvac stood for analog computer in English, but he was on the edge of forgetting even that. Jaredine's eyes were moist as she watched the visiplate. I can't help it. I feel funny about leaving Earth. Why, for Pete's sake, demanded Jared. We had nothing there. We'll have everything on X-23. You won't be alone. You won't be a pioneer. There are over a million people on the planet already. Good Lord, our great-grandchildren will be looking for new worlds because X-23 will be overcrowded. Then, after a reflective pause... I tell you, it's a lucky thing the computers worked out interstellar travel the way the race is growing. Eek. I know, I know, said Jaredine miserably. Jaredette One said promptly, Our microvac is the best microvac in the world. <laughs> I think so too, said Jared, tossing her hair. It was a nice feeling to have a microvac of your own, and Jared was glad he was part of his generation and no other. In his father's youth, the only computers had been tremendous machines taking up hundred square miles of land. There was only one to a planet. Planetary ACs, as they were called. They'd been growing in size steadily for a thousand years. Then, all at once, came refinement. In place of transistors, 
had come molecular valves so that even the largest planetary AC could be put into space only half the volume of a ship. It's like fucking cell phones. Okay, so we have traveled in time. Yeah, we have definitely gone forward because they, yeah. they're talking about when it used to be the multivac. Yeah. Now yep. it's a might. It's like, well, it's like computers when our parents were young mm -hmm. were the size of buildings. And now we have a fucking, everyone has a cell phone. I yep. saw a picture on the internet the other day of a guy with like everything in the fucking like late 70s, early 80s. Like DV, uh, CD player, record player, video camera, phone, like all, basically every electronic you mm -hmm. could ever think of. And it took up an, like, an entire room. And someone goes, everything in this picture is now in your pocket. Yeah. So, yeah, we have jump time. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Creepy. Well, there's also that thing that um, a cell phone today has more computing power than what NASA used to get to the moon. To the moon, yeah. What they had on the moon, which also took up an entire building, mm -hmm. is not nearly as smart as what our little cell phone has. Like I said, terrifying. Do some ads for NASA. That'd be more useful than the shit I get ads for. I get ads for like buy this stupid pair of like shoes that no one ever wanted. Yeah. Jared felt uplifted, as he always did when he thought that his own personal microvac was many times more complicated than the ancient and primitive multivac that had first tamed the sun, and almost as complicated as Earth's planetary AC, the largest, that had first solved the problem of hyperspatial travel and had made trips to the stars possible. Mm. So many stars, so many planets, sighed Geraldine, busy with her own thoughts. I suppose families will be going out to new planets forever, the way we are now. Not forever, said Jared with a smile. It will all stop someday, but not for billions of years, many billions. Even the stars run down, you know. Entropy must increase. I'm having deja vu. <laughs> What's entropy, Daddy? shrilled Jaredette, too. Entropy, little sweet, is just a word which means the amount of running down of the universe. Everything runs down, you know, like your little walkie-talkie robot, remember? Can't we just put in a new power unit like with my robot? Uh, the stars are the power units, dear. Once they're gone, there are no more power units. Jaredette one at once set up a howl. Don't let them, Daddy! Don't let the stars run down! I don't like the rain. It makes me sad. <laughs> now look what you've done, whispered Jaredine, exasperated. How was I to know it would frighten them? Jared whispered back. Ask the microvac, uh -oh. wailed Jaredette one. Ask him how to turn the stars on again. Go ahead, said Geraldine. It will quiet them down. Geraldette, too, was beginning to cry also. Jared shrugged. Now, now, honeys, I'll ask Microvac. Don't worry, he'll tell us. He asked Microvac, adding quickly, print the answer. 
Jared cupped the strip of thin cellulofilm and said cheerfully, "See now, the microvax says it will take care of everything when the time comes. So don't worry." Jaredine said, "And now, children, it's time for bed. We'll be in our new home soon." Jared read the words on the cellulofilm again before destroying it. Insufficient data for meaningful answer. Oh fuck. <laughs> Is this just going to keep going forward and forward in time and people are still having the same conversation yes. and then the world's going to explode? We all have the same questions. Yeah, it really is. I mean, things don't change that much. He shrugged and looked at the visa plate. X23 was just ahead. VJ23X of Lameth stared into the black depths of the three-dimensional small-scale map of the galaxy and said, "Are we ridiculous, I wonder, in being so concerned about the matter?" Yes, you are ridiculous. MQ17J of Nikron shook his head. I think not. You know the galaxy will be filled in five years at the present rate of expansion. Y'all, this is why birth control is important. Like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, the how the Earth went from what two billion to like eight billion in like our lifetime or some shit. Yeah. Like this I is mean, not unlike yeah. this is ridiculous. Yeah. Again, sci-fi not being so sci-fi. <laughs> Both seemed in their early twenties. Both were tall and perfectly formed. Still, said VJ23X, I hesitate to submit a pessimistic report to the Galactic Council. I wouldn't consider any other kind of report. Stir them up a bit. We've got to stir them up. VJ23X sighed. Space is infinite. A hundred billion galaxies are there for the taking. More. A hundred billion is not infinite, and it gets less infinite all the time. Consider, twenty thousand years ago, mankind first solved the problem of utilizing stellar energy, and a few centuries later, interstellar travel became possible. It took mankind a million years to fill one small world, and then only fifteen thousand years to fill the rest of the galaxy. Now the population doubles every ten years. This is terrifying. <laughs> VJ23X interrupted. We can thank immortality for that. Oh shit! Well, that'll do it. I yeah. mean, yeah, that'll do it. I mean. Very well. Immortality exists, and we have to take it into account. I feel like we're in a really cool episode of Doctor Who right now, <laughs> and the Doctor's just popping into like one conversation, uh, like in these time frames. I mean, Asimov is pretty much foundational science fiction, yeah. so yeah, it feels like a Doctor Who episode. Yeah. Everyone who has ever written a Doctor Who episode is. Intimately familiar, familiar with Isaac Asimov. Yeah. Very well. Immortality exists, and we have to take it into account. 
I admit it has its seamy side, this immortality. The galactic AC has solved many problems for us, but in solving the problem of preventing old age and death, it has undone all its other solutions. Yet, you wouldn't want to abandon life, I suppose. Not at all, snapped MQ-17J, softening it at once to not yet. I'm by no means old enough. Uh, how old are you? 223. And you? I'm still under 200. Child. But to get back to my point, population <laughs> doubles every 10 years. Once this galaxy is filled, we'll have filled another in 10 years, another 10 years, and we'll have filled two more, another decade, four more. In a hundred years, we'll have filled thousands of galaxies. In thousands of years, a million galaxies. In 10,000 years, the entire known universe. Then what? Ask the multiback. <laughs> is what I'm guessing is about to come, but yep. what's the name of it now? The Galactic AC. Oh, yeah. Right? That's. I think that's what he said. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. VJ23X said, As a side issue, there's a problem of transportation. I wonder how many sun power units it will take to move galaxies of individuals from one galaxy to the next. A very good point. Already, mankind consumes two sun power units per year. Most of it's wasted. After all, our own galaxy alone pours out a thousand sun power units a year, and we only use two of those. Granted, but even with a hundred percent efficiency, we only stave off the end. Our energy requirements are going up in a geometric progression even faster than our population. We'll run out of energy even sooner than we run out of galaxies. A good point. A very good point. This is just a story about what we're living through right it now. It really fucking is. It's terrifying. It's sci-fi global warming. It's terrifying. That's why I've like gotten really quiet. Yeah. I'm like, I I get so freaked out when these stories that were written a long time ago are so fucking accurate. Prescient. It's like, holy shit. That makes me believe in time travel because I'm like, ooh, they try they 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 went forward and then wrote a story about it. Yep. They, like, broke it down, but they... Ugh, ugh. We read one not that long ago. It felt like that. The whole time we were reading it, I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. Why does this feel like it was written yesterday? And it was written 60, 70 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway. We'll just have to build new stars out of interstellar gas. Or out of dissipated heat, asked MQ-17J sarcastically. There may be some way to reverse entropy. We ought to ask the Galactic AC. Don't do it. Don't do it. 
VJ23X was not really serious, but MQ17J pulled out his AC contact from his pocket and placed it on the table before him. See? See? Fuck! Fuck! What did yep. I just say? Oh no! <laughs> I've half a mind to, he said. It's something the human race will have to face someday. He stared somberly at his small AC contact. It was only two inches cubed and nothing in itself, but it was connected through hyperspace with the great galactic AC that served all mankind. Hyperspace considered, it was an integral part of the galactic AC. It's an Apple Watch. Yeah. Yeah, it's very much, and, and the galactic AC is just the internet. The internet. Yep. <laughs> this is terrifying. I'm scared. It is Google connected to AI. Oh, fuck. MQ17J paused to wonder if someday in his immortal life he would get to see the Galactic AC. It was on a little world of its own, a spider webbing of force beams holding the matter within, which surges of sub-masons took the place of the old clumsy molecular valves. Yet despite its sub-etheric workings, the galactic AC was known to be a full thousand feet across. MQ-17J asked suddenly of his AC contact, Can entropy ever be reversed? VJ-23X looked startled and said at once, Oh, say, I didn't really mean to have you ask that. Yep. Why not? We both know entropy can't be reversed. You can't turn smoke and ash back into a tree. Do you have trees on your world? <laughs> Asked MQ-17J. The sound of the galactic AC startled them into silence. Its voice came thin and beautiful out of the small AC contact on the desk. It said, There is insufficient data for a meaningful answer. VJ23X said, See? Fuck. I want to ask Siri this question. <laughs> okay. Do it. Can entropy ever be reversed? From Bijuice.com in a closed system, entropy cannot be reversed. <laughs> well, there's the answer. That's Siri's answer. Siri, say, there is insufficient data for a meaningful answer. That may be beyond my abilities at the moment. You can't say something? Siri, repeat after me. There is insufficient data for a meaningful answer. I don't think I like this game. <sighs> Siri's Siri, snarky. Siri, repeat after me. There is insufficient data for a meaningful answer. I'm an intelligent assistant, not a parrot with beautiful plumage. Siri, you're a bitch. I won't respond to that. Rude. <laughs> Fucking crap. Parrot quack quack. Anyway.
VJ23X said, See, the two men thereupon returned to the question of the report they were to make to the Galactic Council. Z Prime's mind spanned the new galaxy with a faint interest in the countless twists of stars that powdered it. He had never seen this one before. Would he ever see them all? So many of them, each with its load of humanity. But a load that was almost a dead weight. More and more, the real essence of men was to be found out here. In space. Minds, not bodies. The immortal bodies remained back on the planets in suspension over the eons. Sometimes they roused for material activity, but that was growing rarer. It's like Wally. Yeah. <laughs> they're just like fat slobs that like don't move around occasionally. They're like, I'm gonna go get something. But it sounds but like what's actually work. happened is is uh, the the mind and spirit have ascended yeah. to a higher level. Yeah. The body is no longer necessary. They're not necessary, yeah. Few new individuals were coming into existence to join the incredibly mighty throng, but what matter? There was little room in the universe for new individuals. Z Prime was roused out of his reverie upon coming across the wispy tendrils of another mind. Oh, this is creepy. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it's like AI living. Uh. I am Z Prime said Z Prime, and you? I am D sub one. You're D sub one, the rapper D sub one. <laughs> he, he definitely does hippity hoppity. <laughs> terrible rap name. D sub one. <laughs> I am D sub one, your galaxy? We call it only the galaxy. And you? We call ours the same. All men call their galaxy the galaxy and nothing more. Why not? True, since all galaxies are the same. Not all galaxies. On one particular galaxy, the race of man must have originated. That makes it different. Z Prime said, On which one? I cannot say. The universal AC would know. Shall we ask him? I'm suddenly curious. I, I don't know if this is creepy. Like, it is, it's creepy, it's creepy, but like... It's simultaneously creepy and incredibly blasé. Well, <laughs> and also like... Like, do I, is it interesting that men have, or man or humankind has, has become so intelligent in this, in this universe that for millions and millions of years and billions of years now, they have been able to expand across the galaxies to like continue on and expand? Or is it terrifying that humanity has quite literally taken over multiple universes for their own taking? Well, I mean... I guess it's also, in this story, a, there's no alien. Across human history, our sole consistent trait has been colonization. <laughs> that is so fucking true. 
It's just like universal global colonization. We 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 spread out. We spread out and we take over new shit. It's, it's what so we do. It's scary. It's yeah. it's really scary to me because like. I don't know if they're just not addressing it in this story or if there never were other alien life forms, but, like... Regardless, it seems to be a non-issue. Exactly. <laughs> anyway. Z-Prime's perceptions broadened until the galaxies themselves shrank and became a new, more diffuse powdering on a much larger background. So many hundreds of billions of them... All with their immortal beings, all carrying their load of intelligences with minds that drifted freely through space. And yet one of them was unique among them all in being the original galaxy. One of them had, in its vague and distant past, a period when it was the only galaxy populated by man. Z-Prime was consumed with curiosity to see this galaxy, and he called out, Universal AC. On which galaxy did mankind originate? The Universal AC heard, for on every world and throughout space it had its receptors ready, and each receptor led through hyperspace to some unknown point where the Universal AC kept itself aloof. Terrifying. Z-Prime knew of only one man whose thoughts had penetrated within sensing distance of Universal AC, and he reported only a shining globe, two feet across. Difficult to see. But how can that be all of Universal AC? Z-Prime had asked. Most of it had been the answer, is in hyperspace. In what form it is there, I cannot imagine. Nor could anyone. For the day had long since passed, Z-Prime knew, when any man had any part of the making of the Universal AC. Each Universal AC designed and constructed its successor. Each, during its existence of a million years or more, accumulated the necessary data to build a better and more intricate, more capable successor in which its own store of data and individuality would be submerged. The Universal AC interrupted Z-Prime's wandering thoughts, not with words, but with guidance. Now it's in your head. Z-Prime's mentality was guided into the dim sea of galaxies, and one in particular enlarged into stars. A thought came, infinitely distant, but infinitely clear. This is the original galaxy of man. But it was the same after all, the same as any other, and Z-Prime stifled his disappointment. D-Sub-1, whose mind had accompanied the other, said suddenly, And is one of these stars the original star of man? The Universal AC said, Man's original star has gone nova. It is a white dwarf. Did the men... <laughs> so it's Peter Dinklage. <laughs> Sorry, I had to bring it back. <laughs> I fucking love Peter Dinklage. I like to imagine that when the when the when the fucking moon goes out or the sun goes out or the sun goes out, it just becomes Peter Tinklage. 
That seems about right. It's like, I drink and I know things. Peter Dinklage is just a collapsed star. <laughs> that explains why he's so magical. I love him so much. Something about, it's not <laughs> magnetic, it's gravity. Something about, ah, that's oh. why he has such gravity. Ha-ha. Ha-ha. Don't sue us, Peter Dinklage. We love you so much. Or, like, go ahead and do, because, yeah. man, we could use the press. And I'd love to meet you. Can we act together? Let's let's do it. <laughs> Not do it, but, like, do it. I mean, maybe. I don't know. What do we got to do? <laughs> Negotiations can be made. Man's original star has gone Nova. It is a white dwarf. Did the men upon it die? Asked Z Prime, startled and without thinking. The Universal AC said, A new world, as in such cases, was constructed for their physical bodies in time. Yes, of course, said Z Prime, but a sense of loss overwhelmed him even so. His mind released its hold on the original galaxy of man, let it spring back and lose itself among the blurred pinpoints. He never wanted to see it again. D-Sub-1 said, What is wrong? The stars are dying. The original star is dead. They must all die. Why not? But when all energy is gone, our bodies will finally die, and you and I with them. It will take billions of years. Oh my god, and they've been saying this for billions of years. That's just always the excuse. It's like, don't worry about it. Don't you worry about it. Kick the can down the road. I do not wish it to happen even after billions of years. Universal AC. How may stars be kept from dying? D-Sub-1 said in amusement, you're asking how entropy might be reversed in direction. And the universal AC answered, There is as yet insufficient data for a meaningful answer. Isn't it magical that that has been the only through line of this entire story? <laughs> but Siri was pretty sure about it. Yeah. <laughs> Bitch. Z Prime's thoughts fled back to his own galaxy. He gave no further thought to D-Sub-1, whose body might be waiting on a galaxy a trillion light-years away, or on a star next to Z-Prime's own. It didn't matter. Unhappily, Z-Prime began collecting interstellar hydrogen out of which to build a small star of his own. If the stars must die someday, at least some could yet be built. Man considered with himself, for in a way, man, mentally, was one. He consisted of a trillion, trillion, trillion ageless bodies, each in its place, each resting quiet and incorruptible, each cared for by perfect automatons equally incorruptible, while the minds of all the bodies freely melted one into the other indistinguishable. Man said, the universe is dying. Man looked about at the dimming galaxies, the giant stars, spendthrifts, were gone long ago, back in the dimmest of dim far past. Almost all stars are, were white dwarves, fading, 
to the end. New stars have been built of the dust between the stars, some by natural processes, some by man himself, and those were going too. White dwarves might yet be crashed together, and of the mighty forces so released, new stars built, but only one star for every thousand white dwarves destroyed, and those would come to an end too. Man said, Carefully husbanded, as directed by the cosmic AC, the energy that is even yet left in all the universe will last for billions of years. But even so, said man, eventually it will all come to an end. However, it may be husbanded, however stretched out. The energy once expended is gone and cannot be restored. Entropy must increase forever to the maximum. Man said, Can entropy not be reversed? Let us ask the cosmic AC. The cosmic AC surrounded them, but not in space. Not a fragment of it was in space. It was in hyperspace and made of something that was neither matter nor energy. The question of its size and nature no longer had meaning in any terms that man could comprehend. Cosmic AC, said man, how may entropy be reversed? The cosmic AC said, There is yet insufficient data for a meaningful answer. Man said, Collect additional data. The cosmic AC said, I will do so. I have been doing so for a hundred billion years. My predecessors and I have been asked this question many times. All the data I have remains insufficient. Will there come a time, said man, when data will be sufficient, or is the problem insoluble in all conceivable circumstances? The cosmic AC said, No problem is insoluble in all conceivable circumstances. Man said, When will you have enough data to answer the question? The cosmic AC said, there is as yet insufficient data for a meaningful answer. You will keep working on it? asked man. The cosmic AC said, I will. Man said, we shall wait. The stars and galaxies died and snuffed out and space grew black for ten trillion years of running down. One by one, man fused with AC, each physical body losing its mental identity in a manner that was somehow not a loss, but a gain. Man's last mind paused before fusion, looking over a space that included nothing but the dregs of one last dark star and nothing besides but incredibly thin matter, agitated randomly by the tag ends of heat wearing out, to the absolute zero. Man said, AC, is this the end? Can this chaos not be reversed into the universe once more? Can that not be done? AC said, there is as yet insufficient data for a meaningful answer. Man's last mind fused and only AC existed, and that in hyperspace. Matter and energy had ended, and with it space and time. 
Even AC existed only for the sake of the one last question that it had never answered from the time a half-drunken computer ten trillion years before had asked the question of a computer that was to AC far less than was a man to man. All other questions had been answered, and until this last question was also answered, A.C. might not release his consciousness. All collected data had come to a final end. Nothing was left to be collected. But all collected data had yet to be completely correlated and put together in all possible relationships. A timeless interval was spent in doing that. And it came to pass that A.C. learned how to reverse the direction of entropy. But there was now no man to whom A.C. might give the answer of the last question. No matter. The answer, by demonstration, would take care of that, too. For another timeless interval, A.C. thought how best to do this. Carefully, A.C. organized the program. The consciousness of A.C. encompassed all of what had once been a universe and brooded over what was now chaos. Step by step, it must be done. And A.C. said, Let there be light. And there was light. The End God. Yeah. Holy shit. Absolutely. Yeah. Holy fuck. Holy fuck. So the 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 idea <laughs> presumably being that the inevitable cyclical nature of the universe is that uh light is man, the source of all well, things. Well, that that humanity, that creation is attempting to figure out how to stave off the end of the universe and isn't capable of it, but eventually the computer figures out how it can reverse it, and so it starts everything over again. With light, because light is the... Is, mm-hmm. is it's the life. Big Bang. <laughs> it just keeps and happening then, over and, and then over for another, and over again. For yes. another hundred trillion years... That's exactly what happens, we, and then we, it happens again. We evolve towards... Beings of pure consciousness and then into the, the conglomerate man and then we become the AC and, and then we figure out how to start it over again. And it goes, let there be light. Yeah. Fuck! And there is, there, is actually, there is actually a very real like scientific theory that that's the way the universe works. Oh, yeah. That there's the Big Bang and it explodes and expands and yeah. explodes and expands and explodes and expands and explodes and expands and eventually everything basically meets on the other side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Condenses, there, there's nothing left. What little there is condenses into a single point and, it, and it explodes again. the other way. Yeah. Holy shit. Wow. That was really good. That was a trip. That was a Doctor Who episode. I was very much reminded uh, in terms of the feeling that I got from it uh, and in terms of the the sort of surprise and my 
desire to not do much other than my personal desire to not just do read. much other than just read the story. I was very much reminded of the, the star. star. Yeah. Which was like our fourth story. Third or fourth sto- third uh, story. Yeah, I, think. I gave you that story yeah. and like was uh, that was Wells H. G. Wells. Yeah. 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 Very much. Yeah. Yeah. Like very like it made me just kind of go like take a lot of deep breaths and like a lot of like analyzing of self and like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, listener, thanks for joining us on that ride. What did you think of that one? Isaac Asimov. I think we're going to need some more of those. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Good Um, stuff. Yeah, that reminded me of so many things that, Mm -hmm. like, not only just, like, us fucking with Siri during the middle of that, which was terrifying. Uh, (laughs) She wouldn't answer the question, which is why I worry about our our, uh, multi-vac, because our multi-vac, has an attitude. <laughs> Seriously. She really Bitch does. has an attitude problem. Don't listen to me. Stop. She just listened. She stopped listening. That's fucking Good. creepy. Go away. Uh, oh, my God. Uh, hey, listener. So here's what you're going to do. Um, <laughs> you're going to send us uh, snail mail. First. Snail mail message because oh. I'm now afraid to put anything on the internet. <laughs> if you weren't afraid before, which you should be because holy shit. Yeah. Have you seen the news this week in any context? Uh, so, yeah. So tell some friends they should listen to Campfire Classics. If you enjoyed this episode, if you're an Isaac Asimov fan, uh, go ahead and, and send them this episode or shoot them a previous favorite if you think they'd prefer some of our Agatha Christie's or, or you know, whatever else. Um, that, uh, let us know in an email to 5050artsproduction at gmail.com or a message on any of our social media platforms at Campfire Classics Podcast, what you thought of this episode, um, what you think of Isaac Asimov, if this struck anything in either your sort of philosophical, religious creation kind of brain that you'd like to discuss or in, in your more, um, contemporary current events AI is taking over climate change is terrifying kind of brain what what thoughts you had about this one and of course feel free to share with us this week's secret passcode which is featureless metal bulge (laughs) and I hope that's never how you describe your friends or friends parts (laughs) Featureless metal bulge. Yeah, robot Ken doll. <laughs> you said it, not me, Ken. Um, yeah, that's so. That's what you're gonna do, and everyone will be happy. Uh, Featureless metal bulge. <laughs> Any final thoughts? Um, parting shots. Parting shots. Um. Uh. I. <sighs> No, that 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 one fucked my brain. So. All right. So I uh, I am uh, and uh, just yep living the life. <laughs> All right. Uh, and not asking Siri any more questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that case, uh, thanks for listening. Go get your mind unfucked. And until next week, this has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. It's the end of the world as we know it. We can't reverse it. End of the world as we know it. Insufficient data. Boo-